Welcome to Talent Hub Talk. I'm Ben Duncan, and on this podcast, I will be interviewing prominent and inspirational figures from both the local ANZ and global Salesforce Ohana. In today's episode, I am joined by David Longini. David is the CEO and one of the founders of Empodio a Salesforce consulting business based out of the US. Through this episode, we heard more about David's background, how he found his way into Salesforce, and then how he became a specialist in the field service space. We then explore how and why he started a business and how they focused in on a very, very specific niche, which I think is a really interesting point and something that we're seeing more and more of in the Salesforce ecosystem. So we explore this niche and discuss the world of field service and how companies are expecting more from their consulting partners and how they're expecting people to know more about the industry and the real business challenges they're facing and not just the technology as a solution. So a really, really interesting episode. I hope you enjoy it. And if you do, please do subscribe for future episodes that are coming through. David, thank you so much. Thank you for joining us. Of course. Well, uh, we've got a lot to run through today. I'm uh, I'm really excited to hear more about you, your business, and and kind of how you got to this point of running a business and your your prior background in Salesforce. But before we get into the Salesforce stuff, can you tell me a little bit about what you did, what life was like before Salesforce, and what your career looked like back then? So I had an interesting path, and from college, I studied management, information systems, finance, and actually on the side, Chinese, and spent some time with economics, HR. I just fell in love with business to begin with. But actually, I can credit a teacher at the University of Buffalo who showed me the power of technology through the weirdest of segments, in which there was a news article about Target being able to use data to predict people were pregnant before they knew they were pregnant. And that single article I can remember as a turning point for me of recognizing that there was the power of technology, because all I really wanted to do was to be able to leverage what I knew and what I was capable of to provide a positive impact for people. And before that, I was actually on the path for finance. And that dove me down into information technology and understanding it and studying it for the rest of college, where I then took that and had the privilege of getting a role that they were looking for somebody with more experience and actually with an MBA, but liked me and interviewed me for a role as a senior business systems and intranet analyst at Ingram Micro out of Buffalo, where actually the sole goal was migrating them off of a combination of Salesforce and a green screen to Microsoft Dynamics CRM. And I was very grateful to have a wonderful manager there who understood that even through the chaos of politics of working in that company where they were, I will say dysfunctional at best, and a lot of power plays internally, she kept me busy and understood that I needed to be constantly challenged. And as things started to stall out, I spent significant amount of time really understanding and coming to appreciate working with end users and saying like, oh my God, you're working with something from the 1980s, being like, I could make this easier, but also understanding sometimes a green screen's great because they understand two buttons and that's what they press. So really understanding and appreciating what it meant for end users while simultaneously getting frustrated at the pace and just spending my days reading books, reading white papers. And I got every certification, I believe, don't quote me, in Microsoft Dynamics CRM in like a year and getting exasperated And finally, the project ended up stalled and on hold, and they tried to scapegoat my manager 
who left was the only reason I was staying at the company. So I jumped ship over to a wonderful family company called Rich Products out of Buffalo. And there I was the administrator over a fairly mature Microsoft Dynamics CRM instance in which they were doing a lot. And I had the same challenges that they were moving really slowly because there wasn't a massive implementation. Um, they were adding new things, but they were going at a pace to make sure that there wasn't a lot of disruption. But what it gave me was there were a couple hundred employees in the office that I really got to spend all day just going to them and saying, like, how are you using this? What's working? What's not working? Oh, you find that confusing? Oh, this is super frustrating for you? I could fix that in an hour. And really getting a sense of what it was like day to day for each of the roles and to truly be in it, working with them, understanding what was there and finding ways to provide input and advice to really have that user-centric design and business process planning. And at a certain point, right as I was getting very bored of the pace that they were moving, Blue Wolf came to town and was opening up a Buffalo office. And my former manager from Ingram Micro, who was friends with the chief of staff at Blue Wolf, recommended me to be kind of the senior technical consultant over that office that they were starting. And with some ambivalence, because I loved the family company, I loved what was there, but I was getting extremely bored. I took the jump over into consulting. Yeah, nice. So, so your first exposure of Salesforce was actually migrating off of Salesforce? Yes. Yep. So what was it that attracted you then having had that exposure and, and I guess seeing the platform and then being a Microsoft Dynamics person, what attracted you to Salesforce? It's better. The only reason that company was moving <laughs> off of Salesforce was it was cheaper. And I have not okay. interacted with Microsoft Dynamics CRM in four years. But when I was doing it and became an expert at it, Salesforce could just do more and simpler and more flexible and more capable. And I didn't actually really even know that until I jumped ship. I knew it was it had the Ohana, it had all these things. But even to your next question of starting with consulting, it was like finding everything that I was frustrated about with Microsoft Dynamics CRM, Salesforce already had. It had better training. It had better capabilities. Things had been more thought out from the user experience and user interface that you could make more changes to it and accommodate more people and more things. So it was really a race where I had already understood the design methodology from researching every white paper, every certification, everything in Microsoft Dynamics CRM. So I jumped in and started getting certified right out of the gate with five certifications in a couple of months because the same principles were there. It was just mm -hmm. done in a slightly better, more user-centric way with more capabilities. So moving into consulting, did you experience any challenges and not so much technology focus, but actually being a consultant? Yeah, I also was really grateful that I ended up in a sandbox. Blue Wolf had created a pretty interesting program called Blue Wolf Go, which was fixed price, fixed timeline, fixed scope projects that were designed to enable them to create a price point in a structure where junior business analysts and a project manager could oversee and deliver fairly effective, simple projects within a very defined methodology and effectiveness. So I was mm -hmm. grateful because that gave me a sandbox in which to play, which was much more defined and much more clearly defined and with much less gaps. At the same time, there are significant differences in between being an admin and a consultant that cannot be overstated. As an admin, you generally are defining the own time to get things done. 
And I'm not going to say it's less chaotic because you might be getting an email that says, I don't have access and I need to have access and something is happening. And you're responding in five minutes. Mm-hmm. But as a consultant, you get a, oh, we have this random request and we have this go live coming and we missed it. And I'm telling you, it's going to be 15 hours of work, but this go live is happening on Friday and it needs to get done and it needs to be approved in each of the pieces. So there was one, understanding those timeline and those requests working with people to greater clarify. But the other thing that was interesting is that as an admin, you don't have a scope. You have available time and you have priorities that are handed down. But as a consultant, it was really hard to curb the talking with somebody in a fixed project and have them be like, oh my God, it'd be incredible if this just happened. And this could be a simple automation that would take two hours to do, but it's not in scope. And therefore, it isn't happening and requires rolling up the chain, figuring out what's there. Those pieces, like those boundaries in order to protect ourselves was harder and difficult to deal with. Sure. So at this point, you're at Blue Wolf. You've come in from a CRM background, having you know worked with Microsoft Dynamics. But then looking at your background, it appears to me that you then started doing quite a lot of work in the field service space. What was the first exposure to field service? And did you find it more challenging, different, I guess, to working with some of the other Salesforce products and clouds that you'd experienced before? 100%. So there's a couple of major tenants. When you're dealing with, especially sales cloud, sales can be done in 800 different ways by 800 different people. And if you do it wrong, there is no wrong. You're just less effective. So a lot of it is like the same principles apply. You have to have people coming in and communicate to them, but the variations are near endless and people can have the definition. When you're dealing with field service, the interactions are much more complex and things need to happen. Physical people need to go out. Communications need to occur. Certain things need to be in place. They need to be available from a mobile phone. So it's more complicated the full interactions of a process map from start to finish. And some people may not necessarily agree, but I would say from a Salesforce perspective, it's more complicated because for a sales rep, most of the ambiguity in a simple implementation can be handled with the description box of, oh, I'm doing this, I'm doing this next, I'm in this phase. And if a phase is missing and somebody's doing it, there's not a problem because they're usually out. It's not expected for Salesforce to interact to do it in a simple implementation. Or in Salesforce, if I don't provide you the ability to consume inventory or to finish these things or fill out this field from a narrowed down mobile app, you just can't do it. So there's a lot more attention that has to be played throughout the entire circumstances. And it also, for field service to work correctly, everything else has to work correctly. You need to be able to sell something from the field. You need to be able to resolve a complaint. You need to be able to finish inventory. You need to be able to bill on site. So it's more of a dependent piece of the amount of things that somebody does from their phone on site interacts with all areas of the business. So really those interdependencies make it harder to isolate as opposed to being able to look at Salesforce and say like, ah, we're just going to put our sales reps on there and everybody else is like, everything that happens after sale we send over to a different system. You often can't really have that isolation effectively. When that happened, like when field service became a thing in Salesforce, they can't have been, I mean, it's like any product, right? If it's a new product, there aren't experts. 
and there aren't people that have that deep kind of uh, people come into the ecosystem and obviously the people that are building the product have that knowledge otherwise they couldn't build the product but did you see that at that stage when field service products started kicking off they were being done wrong just because people didn't have that understanding of the full life cycle of field service in the Salesforce world? 100%. Field service was a major struggle at the beginning. And I look back at the first implementation or two I did and you're like, oh, I missed that. I missed that. What Salesforce did do a pretty good job though was they partnered with Click Software before the acquisition. Click Software was the technology behind it. And I had the privilege through Blue Wolf to go and attend a two-day session explaining field service, explaining best practices, explaining those pieces with people I ended up working with later at Click Software for that training. And without that, I think it would have been significantly worse. And I think a lot of Salesforce partners did dive in expecting that they would just be able to have things happen the way that they would with like, oh, we just learned sales, we just learned that. And I think a lot, a lot of mistakes were made and a lot of challenges on a larger scale in much more interdependence. And Salesforce recognized that and really spent a lot of time really educating, making it simpler, bringing people up, creating a program to partner. But in the beginning, as with anything, that was a major struggle. Yeah, for sure. And and obviously, you know, the Click Software business, you work for Click Software. And so you, you mentioned that that kind of underpinned the Salesforce field service platform even before the acquisition. But since Salesforce have acquired Click Software, what has that meant for the platform that, that Salesforce now has and the maturity of Salesforce field service lightning? There's a couple things that are interesting in there. When Click Software was in full operation, they had a major focus on a couple of specific industries like telecommunication, oil and gas, utilities that are fairly large and fairly complex. And they were able to build something that was able to support incredibly complex use cases with incredibly detailed capabilities. And when they acquired it with the combination of Salesforce field service, Salesforce has been working on and doing a great job of and has the plan for moderating in both directions. Salesforce doesn't have privilege isn't the right word, but they don't have the structure in place to isolate. They don't just say, I only service you if you're 5,000 customers plus, or you're in North America, or you're sub this. They try to service and work with absolutely everyone. And so they've had to round out the gaps of a really incredible product because Click Software's main client base was industry specific and really large mid-market enterprise on a large scale. There are exceptions in every possible way. Or Salesforce turns and goes, well, I see home healthcare use case. I see traditional use case. I see this. I see people out in the field. I see sales. I see that. And in doing so, they've continually been rounding out the product to have a feature set while working on making sure that it works in both directions. They've had to take some of what Click Software already had and start to fill out and make it robust so that they can handle the most complex use cases on the planet. And they're doing a good job with it. But they've also had to work with the product and say, hey, a product that was custom built for that mid-market and up, how do I round it out to make sure that we don't leave growth business, small business behind and have time to value so that they can take advantage because there are major advantages and it is better of having a platform that is the best in class optimization available at just 20, 30 technicians. But you need to also make sure that they can take advantage of it without be it becoming over complex and over burdensome for people. 
just on the topic of Click Software, because I, I knew of them, but I, I had no real engagement with anyone from Click Software at, at that point of the acquisition. Were they like the number one at that point for what they, they, they their product offering? Like, did they? Because Service Max, I guess, is out there as well, would be a competitor, but that's built on Salesforce, I think. So, did Salesforce go and just acquire the number one, the the, the true kind of best player in the market? This one's a tricky one in terms of what they did. Click Software did not actually have a strong play on the Salesforce ecosystem at the beginning. Mm-hmm. They were a leader in the market, Gardner Marja Quadrant overall for their industry, for their use case, for field service, for field service technology. Mm-hmm. But actually, Click Software originally built, I believe it was FieldMax or something as an app exchange product. Uh, using some of the technology of Click Software as a stretch project for Click Software in a, in a specific unit. And that blew up. And that was part of Salesforce's consideration to say, hey, we're looking to either build buyer partner and we mm-hmm. see this partnership. And I can't speak to anything behind the scenes of anything else they did, but they decided and said, we like this technology. We think it works. We think it'll be a good use case and started the partnership, which then started with migrating that app exchange product to platform functionality with some exceptions for click software functionality that became a managed package and then jointly as two separate product teams building it together up until the acquisition yeah makes sense so you you went from click software to starting a business had that been something that you'd always wanted to do whether that was being in the salesforce ecosystem or even before what gave you the confidence at that point that that was the right time to do it Confidence might be an interesting word because I even shared my thoughts in a major LinkedIn article of, I've always wanted to start a business. I knew I wanted to. That's why I did it. My father ran a business, not well, but he ran one. And so I have had a dream of being an entrepreneur for as long as I can remember. And I struggled with it because my original goal coming out of college was a number in my head of, I will save this much, I will learn this much, and then I will feel comfortable and I will start a business. I had skyrocketed past that savings by the time that I had considered working with Click Software. And actually, at the exact moment that Click Software reached out to me, I wasn't looking for a job. I was planning to start a business. And I was planning to say, I'm going to take a 20-hour-a-week, three-month contract with somebody to make sure that I have cash flow to make the leap and start a business. Mm-hmm. And when I joined Click Software, I've wrote thoroughly about this, that as much as I loved the team, loved the piece, I spent an entire year feeling like I'd betrayed myself, (laughs) feeling like I knew that I wanted to be a business. I knew that I wasn't supposed to be there. I felt like the classic, like Paulo Coelho's alchemist, where I was like, I am betraying where I am supposed to be, what I am supposed to be doing, how I am supposed to do it, and fighting battles with myself where I was sitting there being like, but arguing with myself, but you have great people. True. You have a great manager. True. You're getting great exposure. True. You're learning great things. True. And just having the back of my head say, but that wasn't what you were looking for. You were looking to start a business. And I struggled and struggled and struggled and felt intense pain and anxiety to where I struggled to perform the work. If I took a vacation, I had been posted in that article a lot, a page six months into working at Click Software for my journal that just has me saying like, people aren't living their lives this. Like, I I will quit my job. 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 I So the confidence was not necessarily the right word. It was the, 
I could no longer face myself when I knew what I really wanted to be doing. I knew that I wasn't doing it. And I knew that working in tech, having the financial stability, saving a ton of money, living cheaply, like I knew that I could do it. I knew that I had no excuses and no rationale left not to try to dive into the deep end. And finally, it was just altogether too much for me. And I think that was combined with meeting my co-founder or not meeting, I knew him, but having a three hour long rant on the phone with my co-founder, soon to be co-founder being like, why are we doing this? This isn't working. The company I work for doesn't do this. And we're like, we could do it better. Found somebody we thought we'd work with and made a leap. Yeah, nice, nice. So since the business has been going, what have you learned about yourself and also life as a, a business owner? couple things. One, about myself, running a business is interesting because I find it to be the, the single best self-development tool that I have ever experienced. And I have found biases in myself. I have found flawed perception. I have found beliefs. I have found things that I do that just don't work because it will expose painfully everything that you do that just isn't working. You will want to focus on the things you're comfortable at, but the things that you're uncomfortable at are the things that need to happen. When you're an employee, you can be like, I'm good at these things. And if I'm not good at these things, I'll find a job that better suits what I'm better at. But when you found a company, you have to learn to be good enough at every aspect of it. And you can't avoid it because otherwise that piece won't work. You either need to do that or find a co-founder who has those skill sets to round it out in order to service. And I have gone to therapy, I have had a business coach, I have masterminds, I have learned I cannot do it alone, that I am probably making mistakes, that those mistakes are not going to reveal themselves to me because they're within my current thinking, that I have to be constantly and consistently challenging my own thinking and finding people who will challenge my own thinking from outside of the box because otherwise I just won't face it because your current perceptions are like blinders. And that a business will force you to do it in a way that's interesting because Personally, most recommendations are on like set a goal, do this, have fearless evaluation, but people will get uncomfortable and stop. It's very difficult to do so, especially in areas where you're uncomfortable. But mm -hmm. as long as you stick to being in a business, every week I have a scorecard where it'll be like, hey, uh, did we bill enough this week? No. Why? And it's almost like I have reviews with external people, internal people, and within the company that expose times in which I'm being stupid, in which we're evaluating things poorly, in which our thinking was wrong. And often that comes back to two things. Either our process is wrong, which usually means we didn't know how to do it, or we're wrong and we're making those mistakes. And simultaneously on the business side, all grand delusions of business fall away to understand that a business is very simple. Humans and human psychology and the human brain tries to put way too many things in place that just aren't true. When it comes down to it, a business is a group of people gathering together to try to provide something of value to solve somebody else's needs in exchange for money. Every abstraction outside of that makes it really, really difficult. And those were the first things we had to learn was product market fit mattered than, more than anything else. We are just as guilty of thinking like, oh, if we just have ping pong tables, if we do this, like if we're happy, if we're good people, like people are going to work with us and it's just going to grow. No. The only things that mattered starting a business were who are we going to help? Where do we find those people? Where do I find and convince those people to buy? And 
how do we deliver that effectively? You have to start with that loop and everything else grows from there. Yeah, that's so true. And and to your point about like self-reflection as well, like I find as a business owner, like you just have to be honest with yourself. And that's the key thing, right? At the end of the week, have you done enough? And there's no one else to kind of do that review that means as much because, you know, if you're not honest with yourself, then the business isn't going to be successful. So yeah, it's really, it's really interesting that you self-reflect so much and have those external sources as well. But ultimately it comes down to you and your business partner, right? I would frame what I learned from this as one thing is just how much I don't know. And just how much that if I knew it, it would have been happening that when I went into business, me and Alex spent so much time trying to inflate our own because it wasn't confidence. It was deep abiding fear that we were going to be wrong, that we were constantly trying to inflate ourselves to a point that we kept going. But I walked into a master or a conference at a mastermind three, four weeks ago, and they were like, well, what's your question? And I said, everything I thought I knew to get from zero to here was wrong. Now I'm trying to go from here to there. Most of you have done that. Where am I going to be wrong? What is wrong with my thinking? What is wrong with my plan? Because chances are, you know, significantly better than I do. And I've continued to do that in perpetuity to look and say, I have not done this. I am going to make 10 mistakes. If I can learn from others, then I will make less of them. But to assume that I'm wrong until proven right, rather than assume that I'm right until proven wrong. Yeah. Yeah, so true. Now you say niche, we say niche, but you have a a, a very well-defined, I'm going to say niche, and a very well-defined addressable market. Now I think um, a lot of people would think, right, field service lightning is enough of a niche, but you, you've you gone one step further and very, very deep and specific. So why and how did you define that? I'm very grateful for the people who have helped us along on our journey. And one, who I'll call out Dave Themecki out of Buffalo, who I call Startup Santa, has got 30 years of experience plus in different businesses and spinning them off. And we did a small contract with him. And it was the most important or second most important thing we did in our first 15 months in business, where he worked with us to follow the lean product playbook and competing against luck. And what that was was about truly interviewing and understanding the path and journey that people take, not just marketing, but through delivery, what's the piece. And we did it starting out with Salesforce, which allowed us, we spent time interviewing, asking direct questions. Who do you ask? Like asking these questions of when you need a partner, where do you find them? To figure out mm-hmm. things like they don't actually use the partner finder. They ask their SE, they ask other AEs, they ask their RVP, they ask this, like, where do these come from? To say, like, how do you evaluate a partner? Like, who's your best partner and why? When you have a bad partner, why are they bad? How yeah. do you choose that journey? How do you work with them? What makes sense? What's there? And when we did that, we started to realize a couple of really key things. You, in order to fully address and support our partners, which are Salesforce, We had to understand how they did things. And we had to understand that they have a core AE, they have service AEs, they have part AEs, they have this. We had to understand that they're broken down where enterprise is off over here, where Canada is over here, where they're broken down into growth business and understand a couple of things. And for field service, it was interesting because field service covers 20 different use cases. It's probably an exaggeration, maybe 12, but none of those talk to each other. They don't. Home healthcare falls under health and sciences. Utilities is pretty much its own capability. Manufacturing has its own separate sales team. Each of those were entirely separate. 
which was when we realized how flawed we were. Because we realized that not only would we struggle to handle all of the use cases to understand each of those, and we couldn't be best in class at all of them. We were a small team. If we deliver, sold and delivered an incredible utilities deal, the person in manufacturing still hasn't heard of us. It wasn't yeah. going to work. Then the next level that we did is we said, okay, we chose and looked at three or four different areas and said, which ones are the easiest? Which ones do we have the most success with? And which ones have the most knowledge? And we narrowed down to really say, common business services, construction, and manufacturing. We then went from there and said, okay, manufacturing is a separate sales team at Salesforce at the moment, and it might even have changed this year. But then home and business services are handled by the same core group and same as construction. So we looked at that and said, which one's easier? We said home and business services is much easier to deliver because construction requires a lot more project management capabilities that are beyond that. Then we had to narrow down again because we looked at growth business, small business, and mid-market and physically evaluated out each of those and said, what is the value prop? How do AEs work with them? And to be honest, to say on this call, I trained a lot of the people who do field service at Click Software. It was part of my role. And they do incredible work. And most of them are in mid-market now that I worked with that grew. And I really made the decision. I said, small business is really difficult because the clients are hard. They don't have the ability. Field service is complex. And it's not that I couldn't do it. I just thought we'd have more of a struggle there and we were aiming higher. But mid-market, I knew that I was a small team, that I couldn't really, like one mid-market deal has as many people as I have on my team. And I didn't want to risk that. And also, I think they're being served pretty well. My colleagues and partners at those companies do a great job. So I said, where do we best fit? We are world-class at understanding field service and home services. And if we choose growth business, we're going to find people who are being underserved, AEs who want that support, who need that support, who aren't getting it, where they have partners who really don't know enough about field service and aren't niche enough, so they might do an okay job, or partners that are going to be way too expensive and have too much broad that they're not going to hit. So when we found that niche, everything changed. I mean, that makes complete sense to me. And I think I'm guessing you probably have like, you know, I don't know how many, but a set of key people within Salesforce that you now engage with and you're not chasing your towel. You're not trying to be best friends with everyone. You're just delivering a really good service to a small group of AEs that know that when they come to you, they're going to get a good service and you are now that partner that they recommend. But what are the drawbacks? Because there must be some drawbacks of having that really well-defined small, you know, I guess there's there's a limit to how many customers that you can service, right? So is that the only drawback? So there's a couple. First, when we made that niche, we made an uncomfortable realization. We were choosing to serve an industry when before we had focused on a technology. And the first nine months were tough because we had to round out our understanding. Because when we chose home services and in growth business, they expect somebody to be able to service everything. We're in mid-market and we made this conscious choice. In mid-market, we could do a field service implementation for a mid-market company. They already have sales. They already have service. They have somebody else for it, or they have somebody else, and we're coming in to do field service. In growth business, they expect us to be able to support everything, or at least everything except usually marketing cloud or like random things. Yeah. So we had to narrow and broaden our capabilities, which was a conscious choice that was difficult, because now my team needs to understand 
sales cloud, service cloud, field service, like CPQ, but also five or six different app exchange partners like Accounting Seed and Congo Composer DocuSign that work. And cool. we're broadening that out and rounding out the edges to say like, my team needs to understand eight different things, but those are the only eight different things that allow us a narrow niche that we can fully support and start to create a package that work for them. The downsides are this. One, it's harder to hire because yep. nobody knows what we know. I can't go out and say, bring me a field service solution architect. I know it doesn't, but A, they might have spent the last two years working on a utilities deal and have no yeah. idea how to run a small project, how to run with this. But B, we do work with a really, really narrow team and that is good in that because if we did do something poorly, the word would spread pretty quickly. The word would spread by a Slack message. So we're always working to, to provide the best that we possibly can. But sure. the upside is this. They know me. They trust me. And I can do my best. And there's repetition. And that was actually a conscious choice where we even focused directly on the East Coast because we got advice from within Salesforce and a partner account manager that said, you're only going to do 10 deals this year. If you do three, three, and three across East Coast, Central, and West Coast, nobody cares. But if you can go to a single RVP and bring them 10 solid deals, then they'll remember your name. And that did matter for us. For sure. What about, I guess, the turning away work? How do you feel about that? Because that must come up, right? And I think a lot of partners would take on projects that you know didn't fall into their niche because they're trying to grow a business. Like, Have you had to do that? And how has that felt? Every time I do it, it gets easier. When we first started, we took a couple of things outside of it. And every quarter that we've been in business, our niche has narrowed. Every single quarter. And every time it becomes easier because we realized a couple of things. We felt the pain of taking on something outside of it and having to learn more. Like yeah. when I am the default solution architect and so is my co-founder, all of a sudden CPQ gets thrown into the mix. My team doesn't know it. I do. I, I'm the one diving in to figure this out, to answer the questions, to round it out, to structure our pieces. So you feel the pain and you realize just how much time is taken away from that narrow piece. So we've gotten much better. Is it hard? Yeah, but we actually are a values-based company as well. Part of the reason we chose home services is there are industries that I will not work with. Somebody brought us a deal with tobacco and I said, go away. Somebody brought us a deal with alcohol and I said, no. Somebody brought us a deal working with the prison system and I was like, not a chance. I've learned a really big lesson of working with people who meet my values because my business for me and our business, me and Alex, is, is about enabling a platform to allow us to serve others. And so two things come into play. If I don't like what you do or how you do it, I don't want to help you do it more. Yeah. I don't, it's truly to be the change you wish to see in the world. If I think you have poor business practices, you treat people poorly, you do this, like I don't want to help you. If the thing you do doesn't work, I don't want to help you. But then the third piece is this. I've realized that if I take a random deal outside of our niche, it distracts me from helping our niche that much better. If I sure. think about the hundreds of hours of frustration of figuring it out to go do some random offshoot or figure it out, and I'm like, if I had spent a fraction of that time at a conference for home services, at doing this, at mapping out pieces, I would just have significantly higher value on repeat. And the more that I remember that, and the more good work we do and we stay within a narrow niche and have more work coming in than we can handle, the easier it does get. You've mentioned, obviously, like new products coming in. So CPQ comes in and you need to get across that. But 
Aside from the technology, um, when you go in and you're meeting with a customer and you're doing a project for them, do you feel that customers are now expecting business experts rather than just technology experts? Like, are people looking for you to truly understand their industry, their business problems, and not just to solve that with, oh, this is how field service lightning works in your industry, but this is how you know the industry works and, and how field service lightning enables that solution? 100%. And that's what we're striving to do. And I'm being careful that I don't want to throw shade at an industry, but I think a lot of people have to catch up because it used to be software because Salesforce was the name of the game. And now there are a lot of competition and a lot of point solutions that do a really, really good job. So they're being forced to really have to align where Salesforce is still the best platform on the planet, hands down with the most capabilities, with the biggest areas, and still. It's difficult if you have to go through the fuzziness of understanding and implementation, figuring things out, making mistakes. So there's a massive, massive expectation. And it was one of the bars that I learned coming out of our most recent, uh, I think it was entrepreneurs organization where I was seeking help from them and going through a conference where I said, we have been setting the bar based on saying we know home services better than any partner. And I believe that to be true at the moment, at least within growth business and our niche. And there are wonderful partners out there. But I believe it was a fairly low bar. And I believe that it truly has to be grown because we chose a niche that wasn't being hit. And now we're saying to ourselves, I need to know this industry, their use cases, what they do better than service type, which mm -hmm. is the massive point solution in the space. I need right. to know it and have everybody on my team know it better than there to have pre-built solutions to design because the demand will continue to rise for that. It's not just about partners. It's about Salesforce needing partners to catch up with where the software ecosystem is going. And Salesforce is making that pitch with everything they do to say, we must verticalize, we must understand this, where's your narrow niche? And partners that are used to saying, hey, we kind of do a little bit of everything and we do it and we do the software are already struggling and they're going to continue yeah. to struggle. And Salesforce isn't doing it to be asinine. They're doing it because there's a maturity life cycle of software that's going there. And people sure. are expecting and demanding more for really good reasons because they have alternatives that are doing better. And if we continue to rise to that occasion, you have to say, I know these people well enough. Like I know any client that comes in the door, I have a narrow enough niche that I could write their journal of their problems, their fears, their needs better than they could before they walk in the door because that's the expectation that's moving towards. So let's move on to hiring then, because I guess that's a challenge now for everyone, but especially when you are so niche, like, would it almost be easier for you to bring someone from the industry and teach them Salesforce? 100%. We are, as we structure down in peace, we're going to be looking to grow heavily. And then I'll tell you the same thing I said when we were prepping for this. For everybody listening, my believability is low on hiring. I'm not an expert at it. I'm learning how to do it. But these are the challenges that we've started to see. We constantly ask ourselves the question of saying, A, Salesforce is a hard industry to hire in because people take you away and the salaries are growing. But also, I can't necessarily find somebody who knows what we do mm -hmm. because 98% of all people who are a year in as a business analyst have worked on something that is not my niche, is not my structure, is not my plan. So we have this dual combination of being a small company with a niche that is really working well for us. But we're going to, if we want to grow within this niche, 
need to really step up our game of our ability to find the right people who have a knowledge of the industry because that's the expectation of our clients. Train people who don't have a knowledge of the industry and really have that education in place so that it's simpler. Because right now that's our business's biggest threat. We deliver an incredible value for clients who meet the niche and have that capability and our team really knows it. If I onboard a new person, I don't have something in place to be able to be like, you need to know field service this well. I can point them at articles, I can point them at knowledge, I can point them at Salesforce training, but we're going to have to build that out as a much smaller company. And we are looking at competitive. We're looking at Microsoft Dynamics CRM field service experts because they don't get paid as well. We're looking at dispatchers. We're looking at people who have already done the job, especially like my dream, if anybody listens to this, who's a dispatcher at a field service company using Salesforce field service, Give me a ring because I can make your day. Because those are the people I need, people who can understand our customers that well. I can train you how Salesforce field service works. Salesforce has done an incredible job with that. I can't train you on feeling the pressure of being a dispatcher when you've got 400 appointments that you're trying to schedule and somebody's calling you saying they need to reschedule, they need to cancel, and the UI and those pieces. Those are things that are harder for me to inculcate without sending them out in the field, doing ride-alongs, doing those pieces. It's so true. And I, I think maybe I, like it, over my time in the Salesforce ecosystem, like the last seven or so years recruiting, it's always been about, you know, how many projects have you done? How many certs do you have? How much experience can you tell me, you know, how you write this line of Apex? And I think like that has to change and, and aligning to the, the fact that the industry is changing to be more aligned to industries and business focused. And so it's it's refreshing to hear a consulting business owner talk about that because that's the only way as well the ecosystem will continue to grow because we need more people. And it just makes everyone's life easier because, you know, like you said, that the, the t- technology, there's trailhead. You know, there, there are these tools out there for people to learn, but you can never replicate that environment of actually being in the business again. So yeah, hopefully more people will do that. And looking at all all sorts of different industries, financial services, you know, utilities, finding people and bringing them into the ecosystem and training them and giving them that platform to learn is the only way I see the ecosystem continuing to to grow from a headcount perspective. Yeah. Yep. So, um, look, I really appreciate your time. I've I've really enjoyed the chat. Um, I think actually it would be really good to revisit this in a year or so and see how things have progressed, like in terms of the niche and how how that kind of has evolved and also how you've gone about the the challenges of hiring and growing a business because yeah we've never had anyone on the podcast so far that has been so niche and specific to a serviceable market that will grow and will continue to expand and grow because obviously it's a a, you know one that's been around for a long time and will continue but yeah it'll be really interesting to see how the business evolves with that yeah i'd be glad to well, I mean, I think people that are listening should follow your LinkedIn page. That's how I came across yes, you and you've yep. got some really valuable um, insight and um, and I've, I've watched your videos and, and I think people can get some some really interesting points from there. So I'd recommend people check your profile out. Yeah, that would be my best bet. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Talent Hub Talk. If you're enjoying the podcast, we'd love it if you could subscribe and also leave a short review. Um, We're keen for this podcast to reach as many people in the Salesforce ecosystem as possible, and your reviews will help us do.